All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you, everyone, for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd first like to thank our sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Fox, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, AS3 Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and of course, even Strokes for all their incredible support, as without them, none of this would be possible. All right, for this episode, we have another Aussie motocross special with special guest Nick Still from Moto Online. How's life? And thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Life is uh, life is good. You know, the, the moto game for what we have here in Australia, it's incredible at the moment. And America is just insane and throw some MXGP in there as well. And, uh, you know, the, the added excitement of SMX and that's coming up and how that plays out, dude. It's it's exciting time to be a, uh, a fan. Let's just call it a fan, a fan of the sports. Yeah. It's a good time. Yeah, mate, obviously we're fresh off the, the MXGP at Lommel and then we're Shugal in the AMA on the weekend, so it's busy times ahead, mate. But firstly, just sort of tell us about how you got started in the industry. Obviously, there's a lot of hard work and, and sacrifice and passion gone into what you do, obviously, initially with Moto Limited and now with Moto Online, which Alex does a superb job of running, mate. So just sort of talk us through it, the reasons for getting into it and uh, how cool is it turning your dreams into reality, I guess? I think when you, you think about everything and most people in the sport, you know, you include the raw fans at the end of the day, right? That's, that's sort of why we did it. And I was a huge fan of pulp. I used to call into pulp and, you know, just to, to talk with these guys. And then I ended up on a, a chat chat room with, uh, with dark side. Me and him used to talk back and forth. And it, it wasn't until dark side sort of asked me, he's like, can you cut some audio? We'll do something. Help me with his wrap up show. And I did that for a couple of months, helped him out. And he invited me on to do it with him, uh, which was, you know, fantastic. I was like, you serious? Like I was mind blowing me at the time and didn't know what was going to happen. And so, you know, did, did a few shows with him like that. And I think I ended up like doing six or eight. And then it sort of got to the stage after that, you know, Trent reached out and he was starting Moto Limit at the time. And, you know, invited me on, did a show with him and sort of watched that grow. And then I did a few of the actual wrap up show as well on my own and with, with other people for, for Steve and, Obviously got to go on pole with Trent for uh, the Anaheim show last year, I think it was, and did that and just, it was all just a dream come true. Like, yeah, you know, being in the press conferences, talking to these guys, being being treated like friends by people that you look up to, right? Which is, um, which is pretty much incredible. And then, you know, fast forward a year, uh, the, the separation with Moto Limited, we decided to go each ways. And I was really, really close with Alex Gobert, at, uh, you know, foremost media in Moto Online at the time. And he sort of, you know, we were good friends and he sort of more so like took me under his wing, so to speak, is, is how I describe it. And, you know, teach me and, and showed me and, you know, lets me do all the podcasts for them and video stuff and, and run some race day uh, management for his agency as well. And just... To, to be involved with Moto Online and, you know, for something that, you know, how polished it is and how respected it is in this country, man. It's, it's really, it's a, uh, it's an amazing experience. And like every day, man, it's just like, I still can't believe I get to do it. And some days you, you sort of take it for granted. And then, you, you know, you might be in a press conference talking to Eli and, you know, that gets shared or Rebel Moto Spy use some stuff that I did. And I was just like, man, it, it, it spins me out it's, it's uh it's it's been crazy last three years yeah it's cool to see all the hard work paying off and obviously cultivating those relationships over time especially in america is uh super important as well as in australia so 
yeah, obviously, great thanks to Darkside. Obviously, for you, I guess you could sort of pinpoint that as a catalyst, mate. So you guys and obviously Christian Craig, you're good mates with him. Hopefully, we see him back soon as well. So are they sort of the, the key influences, you'd say, uh, in America at this point? Obviously, Pulp. Yeah, Pulp was a major one, you know. It was... I never thought in my life that I'd be sitting in there doing a show with them and, you know, at the time talking with Christian as well and and sort of just being able to go over there after COVID and experience it. And uh, do a, I did a couple of podcasts with Christian and, we, you know, we started talking and we just, he, I looked it up to him for so long. And so when I, you know, went and meet him and sort of did some of this media stuff and he just treated me like a human being instead of like a fan, um, it was pretty surreal and obviously I, I went back over for when he won his championship and got to be a part of that and got to be on the floor and actually end up carrying the trophy out of the stadium which is which is uh pretty cool um and you know the same thing just being able to constantly talk to these people not really as you know people you look up to but for guidance and stuff like that and you know that's where Alex comes into it as well with what Alex has been able to create in America and, you know, being so respected automatically, I feel like you get some respect just from being a part of what he's created. And, um, dude, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah, mate. He's done a great job with Moto Online on the Oz side and the, and the uh, US side. It's really slick professional setup. And he's obviously just been there or he's on his way home soon. But what was sort of his key takeaways from Washougal and just the trip? He, he would have loved it, mate. And you'll be heading over soon too, won't you? Yeah, I'll go back over SMX. Um, we'll both go over for that. And it's like Alex, he, you know, he spent a lot of time there for um, beginning the the end of Supercross and start of Pro Motocross, and then uh, obviously went back for Shugel and some gear launches. And where Alex is in, you know, his career with Moto Online, it's it's you know all eyes on America, and you know some of the stuff that he's doing there and some of the connections with, with both him and the agency. What he's doing there at the moment is um, it's pretty surreal and. It, it's cool because I get to feed off that a bit as well because you see the excitement with him and with what Moto Online's doing over there and how serious he's taking it. You just want to surround yourself in in people that are you know that dedicated to succeeding and and you know to share the same love and the same you know outset as he does. So it's um it's a good time and and honestly like I you know I got to go to America a lot of times last year and it it wouldn't have been possible without him. Um, and he helps me out in more ways than we could list here today. But um, yeah, it's it's exciting, and I'm I'm dude, I'm pumped to sit back here and, and watch him and and over there like the A Star stuff today. They did some fly stuff, and you know he does a lot of stuff with the KDM group as well. So it's uh, it's exciting. Like you know, I like seeing my friends and you know people I support doing well. So yeah, it's so, cool it's to cool. see all you guys succeeding. That's for sure, mate. And is there a sneaky chance? You blokes be might might be heading over for the nations. Obviously, the Aussies will be out in full force, mate. Really strong chance again. And just one other one. How cool has it been having Dylan Wills, obviously a former rider, join the crew at Moto Online? He's definitely added extra insight in the podcast. You guys do are really cool, dude. Having Dylan there was it, it was so weird because obviously I'd spent so long talking to him as a you know as an athlete as well and interviewing him and and stuff like that and me and at the races me and dylan sort of sit with each other we sort of work between each other all day and sort of at night time where we always end up sharing a room together or always eating together and stuff like that so i've got to see that complete opposite side of dylan and and sort of when first dylan started with moto online um we sort of the three of us were in america together and got to experience a few things like went for a few tours like 
NBA games and stuff like that and and got to see a different side of Dylan and then obviously doing the podcast with him as well, how knowledgeable he is and, you know, how good of a public speaker he is, even though he annoys the absolute hell out of me sometimes. Um, I really, really enjoy it and uh, it's uh, a lot of people liking it. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep on doing that. Yeah, no, well said. And obviously with the with the Aussie scene, obviously the Lawrence brothers are crushing it um, over there at the moment. But uh, just a few words on Jed Beaton heading over there. Obviously, you guys broke that story at Moto Online about him doing the trip to quick sort of quick fire wash Eagle round. And he did pretty well, didn't he, mate? Obviously, the second Moto didn't go to plan, but he certainly proved that he can match it with those guys on probably not the most ideal track to step into. Yeah, you know, I I, I would be lying if I didn't say I expect expected more out of him I, I i don't really know what it was if it if it wasn't the bike he was happy with i know they did do a little bit of suspension testing throughout the week with that motorcycle as well pretty sure it wasn't a firepower honda bike pretty sure it was a hrc bike as well so it might have been a little bit different for him but awesome for them to get the opportunity with you know such a long break that we have here in australia with our region with our australian series to go over there and do that, it would have been super cool to see um, Kyle Webster do Southwick. I was excited to see that. Disappointed it didn't happen. But, you know, for, for Jed to go over there and experience that and, you know, pick up a little bit more. And, you know, we're seeing that with Caden Maneer as well. Caden Maneer is uh, over there with Daniel Blair of the Orange Brigade. I think he spent a month there. So at least this gap here gives these guys yeah. something to do and, and something to strive for more as a, a bucket list item and, uh, you know, it kind of worked out that Alex was there and when it got announced, so we'll uh, we'll take that for sure. But yeah, man, it's uh, Aussies going over there and, and sort of showing the way. It's uh, it's cool. Yeah, mate, it was pretty cool to see. It's just obviously, I think I spoke to him and Webster like back in January, and they were planning on doing something related to that, or even maybe hitting an MXGP, one of the Indonesian ones. It's just it's cool. You read gives the opportunity to do that, even though it must be a logistical sort of nightmare. But yeah, just before we get into the Lawrence brothers, just your take on that gap in the in the series in Australia, in the Pro-MX, it's a bit of a killer of momentum in terms of the fan engagement, the riders' momentum. You know, they obviously want to be doing more races in between, but I know things like the sunny state step in and fill that void a little bit, but it sort of puts a bit of a spanner in the works when they're just fighting for titles and sort of biding time between rounds. Like the one between these two rounds we're in now is just massive, isn't it? Yeah, look, I'm not a fan of it, really. Um, keeping keeping the racing going, and I, I, I'm going to look at it from a couple of different aspects, and... The, the first aspect is, you know, what me and you do, uh, finding, you know, finding these topics to talk about, these stories, following them. When we get to the next round, it feels like it's been forever since the last one and we're sort of going in blind again, um, which I, I sort of don't really like. And then the same time as well, it's like six, seven weeks off for these riders. They need to stay race fit. They need to stay bike fit. You know, you might you might take two weeks off and in and you know, chill out a little bit more, but it's more time to the possibility of getting hurt. Like, dude, I'm I'm going to be amazed if we get to QMP and we haven't lost a rider. Like, it, it that's how it happens, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, that might make me eat my words, but um, yeah, I'd I'd, I'd be amazed. Yeah, we'll obviously talk about the race and in a little bit, but yeah, just. Obviously, start with Jet Lawrence in the AMA 450s. You know, he's done it again, mate. The undefeated streak continues in the heat, the brutal, sketchy sort of track and wash oogle. He just made it look so easy. It's just poetry in motion again, just a masterclass in manage the the races, patience. You know, it just all comes together for him again, mate. And being Aussies, we're all sort of asking the question, can he do the perfect season? And it's kind of like, why not at this point? Because he's holding off Sexton pretty impressively, even though he's fighting pretty admirably, getting close, just sort of can't quite 
get that move made, but it's it's impressive. He's doing his own thing. It's just so good to watch those Honda riders, the way they ride their techniques. It's brilliant. It's still entertaining. Some people say it's a bit a bit dull or whatever, but just to watch those guys, you can pick up and learn so much of the nuances and the strategy behind what they're doing, but it is pretty ominous for the rest of the field what a complete package Jet is already, isn't it? Oh, it's it's incredible, and it's, uh, you know, I, I, a couple of different ways to look at it is when I watch Jet and I watch him ride that bike, He's not at his capacity yet. He yeah. hasn't been pushed. He's riding at, you know, a level that he feels safe to and he can keep turning that up. What level does that go to? How much more does he push that? That's the crazy question for me. And, you know, when you talk about can he do it, I was sort of thinking Southwick, if you get through Southwick, you got a lot better chance. You go and do with sugar like that. I'm uh, I'm all for it. It's 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 going to happen. And let me ask you this question because it's this is one that we're going to start to we're going to start to talk about. I, I'm not going to call the 450 class depleted field because it, it's not. Um, there are some amazing riders there. Say if we did have you know Eli there, we had Barsha there, we had Coop, Christian, Christian with big thumbs up. <laughs> um, the results no different. Is it, Ed? It's, it's no, no different, I, is it? I don't believe it is, mate. It's just, it's Sexton is clearly the second best guy. He was almost won it against the you know, absolutely elite Tomac last year, who, judging, we put a little story out on the site that he obviously had some comments at the Alpine Stars ride day that he's looking at returning Tomac. So we're sort of the, the sort of mouths of watering at the prospect of the 450 class supercross battle with, you know, Webb, Lawrence, Sexton, Barsha, all these kind of guys. It's going to be pretty fascinating, mates. And, you know, Sexton, he's absolutely flying. And he said that his level might even be higher or at a similar level to last year. So it really is, puts it into perspective well, how scary it is what Jet's doing, isn't it? Well, you know, Sexton sort of come out and said that from the last round. He goes, we were going faster than me and Eli last year. To come out and say that, like, that's a statement right there. And, you know, talk about Eli Tomac as well. You know, we came into this year thinking this was going to be the final year for Eli Tomac. Uh, tragedy strikes and obviously goes out with an Achilles injury. Highly rumored we're going to get Eli back for two years. Um, yeah. It may have been a blessing in disguise for the fans to, you know, experience Eli. For, it, it may have, you know, prolonged his career. And if that's the case, then I'm 100% for it because, man, when that happened, I was not okay for that to be how we seen the finale of Eli. Yeah. That upset me. That upset everybody. Um, and it's, uh, you know, we've, we've seen on social media this week of how, you know, how he's going with that recovery. And like we said, seen him in some gear today at the A-Stars launch. Um, you know, we say it every year. Like, it's the biggest race or it's the biggest year of Supercross. It's the most stacked field. i got news for you. Next year, it's yeah. going to be stacked more. Like, the potential of even having... Hunter Lawrence on a 450, that's not out of the water yet. Yeah. So if you've got both Lawrence brothers in that class, you've got Cooper, which we assume is going to be on a star racing Yamaha. We've got Sexton, which we assume is going to be on a KDM racing, uh, KDM race team bike. Throw Eli back into it. Barsha. Kenny Roxon. Buki. Roxon. Like, oh, it's going to be a massive A1. <laughs> oh, it's. I'm excited already. I really am. And just to see how he goes in Supercross in that 450 class will be just fascinating because... You know, he's got all the technique and the skills, but it is a different beast. It's essentially a different sport. And for him to get that prep time in after the Nations will be just so important to get the bike up to speed. But it's, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if he came out and won A1, would you? 
Uh, I'm not going to be surprised if he goes out and and streaks the SMX. Like we know, we know Jet's going to do SMX on a um on a 450. I ain't surprised if he goes out and wins that. And it's when you watch Jet and you watch how he rides his motorcycle and how particular is, you know, watch with the wheel taps, the little one percent here. When you take that and put that on a supercross track, Ed, mm. it's different making. You start throwing around the terminology of you know James Stewart. Yeah. Little things like that, like the Bubba Scrub, you know, that was innovative at the time. I think we're going to see it again. Yeah, it's, and, uh, and yeah. yeah, it's going to be pretty awesome, mate. Yeah, he just has a, it's like a controlled, you know, riding and that 450 suits him so perfectly. So it's hard not to see him going from strength to strength because it arguably, well, it definitely does probably suit him better than the 250, doesn't it? I, I, I was... I made a stupid bet. Like at first, I said, "Okay, he's you know it might take a season to get used to." If anything, it complemented his riding style better. And when you're that good at that age, that early in your career, man, it's holy shit. These other guys better be worried. Yeah, what, what's the mindset? It, Must be a touch demoralizing, you know, going into you know a decade plus of jet in the four fifty class. And it, it's and it's more so, you know, at the end of the race when they're sitting on the podium and in the press conference, he's sitting there like a kid and yeah. having fun. And it's when he's having fun, that's the more demoralizing thing to these guys. Yeah, it's a stark it's, contrast between on and off the bike for him because he's like rides like an absolute man, like as as a nineteen year old. But yeah, his personality off the off the track is just so different. Playful, you know, always joking, sort of such a light hearted guy. You've had him on your podcast and stuff before. It's it's. I don't think I've ever seen a bigger contrast in a in an athlete. You know, you think of guys like Tomac, quite serious, and and Roman Fevre, Maxime Renault. These guys, they're they're very serious athletes. They take everything they do so seriously, and they're so professional. Whereas Jet can just flick those switches on and off. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? It's it it's incredible. Like there's no other word to really describe it um, from how he is. And you know, I've been lucky enough to uh, experience him, you know, off the bike and stuff. And you know, with Lucas Myrtle as well, and and then to see him on the track and. You know, this year, like the Lawrence brothers was, you know, it got spoken about in so many different ways, whether you go back to Pulp and, you know, how they said that they would probably stop doing media in some aspects. And it's it's the little things that them brothers do that the world doesn't see, which really needs to be talked about. But usually we find ourselves talking about the wrong things, yeah. um, which is pretty pretty disappointing as well. And I think when you look at Hunter, Dude, we're about to we're about to start like this Hunter Hayden Deegan rivalry. Yeah, it's coming. It started. Yeah. It's coming, and it's what more could you want? Oh, and meanwhile, yeah. Jet's just up there doing jet things. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, just... like it. Yeah, and you can see, like, you know, he's obviously all in. He does all the work, everything. Yeah, like, you can't fake being that good without putting in hard work to get the fitness and your level right. And Daz is a great influence on those boys. But you know, he's talking about playing golf as soon as he finishes the races. It's so funny, isn't it? Like he can he can just sort of divert his attention so quickly. But it's it's classic. But do you think that media sort of it's not like a blackout, but it's obviously they don't really need to do so much because the hype's already there, and it's obviously a conscious decision to make what they do has so much impetus. Whereas you know, they're in a position to pick and choose now, aren't they? Because they're so popular and they've cultivated their well, brand so well. You know, it, it's funny because there was that segment of the time where it was branded, where everyone's like, oh, we're just getting, 
we're getting jet thrown down our throats. We're getting Lawrence yeah. brothers thrown at us every left, right, and center. Okay, then, cool, sweet. We won't. And they still heard the back of it as well. And and when you talk about Jet with the golfing, I think it was his first Supercross championship. I want to say it. Their championship party they had on the Sunday night. You know, everyone's drinking, having a good time at Top Golf. Jet's three bays down by himself, just macking golf balls. That's that's what he wanted to do. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's is the guy that absolutely just tears you apart on the racetrack. And the second he gets off, he's like, hmm, okay, I'm going to hit some golf balls. I'm going to play golf. Yeah. We're going to go, you know, dance in the truck or have fun. Or um, even like last year for a fact as well at, at, um, at Parler for the, at Fox Raceway, sorry for the, um, for the, the finale there when he won another championship, we were looking to do a video with him for Moto Online. It took us quite a while to, to go find him. He's just having food, sitting in his semi, talking with his mates. Yeah. Like he's just a he's just a real guy. Yeah, and he it's, carries um, it so well, doesn't he? Oh, it's 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 fun, man. It's and it, it the it, the exciting part, which I think gets overlooked as well, Ed, is how relevant Australia is now in the sport of motocross and supercross because of these brothers. Yeah, suddenly yeah. Australia is more relevant, yeah. and you know people might think that is rude or. Or, or wrong but it's true yeah well they're, they're obviously you know all the attention most of it's obviously positive but there is a bit of negative stuff and people have sort of said a lot of stuff about hunter recently so obviously you can see he's like got that got that little bit more edge about him that's super hard working sort of dedicated ultra competitive so he loves it he almost relishes those little battles and like you were saying with deeg and uh it's going to be cool to see see him step that up and that sort of final closing stretch is going to be so good to watch because obviously hunters had that adversity obviously he's, should be probably streets ahead in the championship but those two no scores kind of things out of his control mate but when he's on form and fit and he's been battling the injury the whole time he's definitely the best man in the class but having those two weeks off should sort of give him a chance to rest recover recalibrate the focus and he'll be primed for a massive assault of that title won't he it's that and it's the start the starts are where that lets him it lets him down and those star racing yamahas they're just a powerhouse they get out of the gate It's, it's simply incredible and then quickly talking hayden deegan say yesterday for example Hayden Dean going to the podium. He goes, um, I, I think he was, uh, Hunter should be feeling pretty nervous. He's meant to be winning these things, but I'm pumped that I put the American up front. Like it's like the whole American V Aussie. Like it's, it's exciting. Like it's, uh, we're going to have a rivalry and man, Deegan, I think people thought he was this YouTube kid and he was just going to come in with all this hype and, Homie can do it, and he's done it. He did it in Supercross. He did it in Motocross. He's the real deal. Yeah, he's going to be a massive force to be reckoned with over the years and watching these guys sort of grow up together and battle each other. It's going to be, you know, super good for everyone involved in the sport. But it's pretty impressive. Deegan, obviously, it was Shugal. He had those couple of rounds beforehand, you know, maybe a few murmurings about the title slipping away and a bit of a downward sort of spiral. Not spiral, maybe just a downturn in form. But he he responded emphatically with that one. One definitely flexed his muscles, especially on his teammate Cooper in that second one. That must be a hard one for him to take out how Deegan just powered through the field and then put a power move on Cooper and dropped him the fitness the stamina the aggression the energy it's so good with Deegan isn't he's just a phenomenal rider massive talent and yeah just sort of the way he charges eh, he's completely opposite to obviously someone like Jet Lawrence he's just pushing so hard all the time always looks like he's on the limit 
just like this little pocket rocket, just really physically strong and super fit. So he's the training programs working and his dad's all that stuff he's done with him. It's definitely holding him good stead to sort of succeed. And do you think you got to go with him for the nations too, don't you, to rekindle that rivalry in France? Because it's looking like he's going to get the nod over RJ because RJ's at the starts and the inconsistency and he'd probably rather do it on a 450, he said. So, and who would you send for America just in general? Would you go Deegan, Sexton, AP? Is that what you'd pick at this point, mate? Or Jason Anderson even? Uh, I, I, think, I think you nailed it there with what we had. I, I think you've got to give Deegan the nod um he's proved it you know be it they might feel like oh you know they're only throwing deegan for, for such and such reason he's proved he is the best american rider in that 250 class i think he'd uh he, i think he'd excel i think he'd do fantastic with the mxon you, you've got to send chase and then you've got ap you, you could put three in that category you could go ap ac and who else would you throw in there Obviously, Sexton, depending on what bike he looks like, he'll probably be on a Honda. They they spoke to Lars Lindstrom and a couple yep. of guys at MX Vice has got a podcast coming out, and he said that Lawrence boys are definitely all in on them doing it, and Sexton might be in line for to doing it on the Honda. I think, he, obviously, you've probably heard that too. Just to be interesting to see what happens there with the team switch. But, you know, you never know if something goes wrong. You, you might end up with someone like Masterpool or March Banks going. You never know, eh? <laughs> yeah, i, I got to go Sexton AP with Hayden Deegan. That's, that's either the most logical, but... I don't think Anderson be pumped doing it. I don't know if Kawasaki, you know, they've yeah. had that thing in the past or a little bit weird with it. Um, I'd go that team for sure. And uh, that against our Australian team, which we would basically just mirror what we did last year. We come in one of the favorites, if not the favorite, you know, we might give one of the Euro teams, the nod being in the area that it's in, but uh we're going to win one of these soon. Yeah. yeah. We're going to win one. Yeah. It's, it's coming, mate. Obviously, Mitch Evans hasn't had the, the season he would have liked. Showed so much good progress in the second half of last year. Obviously, the team switch. He was riding absolutely flawlessly, apparently, before that thumb injury. I'm talking to Taker, who's, who's a test rider for Kawasaki, and him in February said they were flying. And obviously, that thumb... It scuppered his preseason. He missed the first part of the year. And it's just so hard to play catch up in that class. It's brutal. They're so fast. The things, you know, he's pushing away. He's doing better. The sort of steady improvements. Not Obviously not the results he's getting last year yet, but he just keeps picking up the top tens. But it's such a brutal game there. You're sort of one and done on a team like Kawasaki. And hopefully he can pick up a ride next year because there's just so much silly season stuff going on in MXGP. But like we've discussed uh, on other podcasts uh, on MX Vice, you know, there's so many options for Australia if, if Evans isn't right or he's not fit or he's not feeling up to it. Obviously, the, the track knowledge in RNA would be massive having a Euro there. But then you look at someone like Ferris, who obviously has that knowledge too, and he's absolutely tearing it up. Would would that be uh, sort of an avenue worth exploring as well, mate? And you can, you know, someone like Beaton, Webster, Tanty, Clout, there's Waters. There's so many guys in Australia that probably overlooked, and I guess for people outside of our shores, mate, but there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of depth. There's so many options if, if one of the riders isn't fit. And obviously the, the prime team is, you could almost, yeah, you could move Hunter onto the 450 and even put one of the 250s with Crawford or Todd because they're flyers too, aren't they? It, the, the, you know, the, the talent pool we have here in Australia, and we, you know, we'll talk about this as well. It's it's incredible. And, and what Ferris has been able to do on that motorcycle, that, you know, I'll vouch for it. It's, there is a lot of stock stock parts on that motorcycle and what he's doing what aaron tanty's doing it's you know throwing luke cloud there as well beaten webster it's just todd waters kirk gibbs like i can keep naming names 
and the talent is there. And, you know, that's probably been one of the biggest talking points, obviously, was the return, I'll say that loosely, with Dean Ferris after, you know, retiring, coming back again to do it. And I had a pretty good conversation with him about it and, you know, his motives for returning and his life. And he's going again next year. Like, this thing's going to happen again, um, be it on his own program, be it maybe with another team. I feel in Australia as well, at the end of this season, we're going to see a little bit more movement. I imagine, you know, Tanti and Clout, I can't imagine both those guys stay at CDR. Um, I feel there'll be some moves there with uh, Yuriv Konsky's team there as well. And and maybe some 250 guys as well moving around. Maybe Crawford goes up onto the 450 and they, they do some changes there. It's the silly season for Australia is looking good this year too. Yeah, obviously, before that happens, it's everywhere. It's going pretty wild, the silly season stuff. But before that happens, do you think Ferris locks this up, mate? Or do you think Beaton's got a chance of sort of closing it in? Or is it just too hard to see? The form's ominous. He's consistent. He's clearly the fastest guy out there, isn't he? And he's so comfortable with his bike, too, by the looks of it. He just, he's, you know, at Toowoomba, for example, around you were out and covered. And it was just a masterclass, wasn't it, mate? He was just streets ahead. It's it's those conditions for, for Ferris and when the track deteriorates, when the track starts to go to its worst, is when he really excels. Now, when I talk to Jed Beaton, you know, I, I you know, I've had many people sort of come at me for this and for saying it, but I'll say it again. It looks like Jed Beaton is struggling with that setup. Now, when we are so far into this season and you're still looking for that, you're still looking for a base, that leaves a lot of uncertainty to me. And, you know, you could argue this with me and say, you know, Ferris had the, the, the off weekend there with Gilman. We're coming back to Queensland. These tracks are going to be right up his alley. I think it's a done deal. I really do. Um, it's going to be exciting. Coolum's going to be exciting for as well. Um, a lot of these guys that are, you know, more your sand specialists as well. Uh, Wilson Todd could have this wrapped up, go to the 450 for Coolum yeah. as well. Kyle Webster there as well. Jed Beaton. It's uh, it could be could be a good round. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to. It. Hopefully, you come up as well. Yep. Um, is that still on the plans? Yeah, mate, definitely on the cards to get up to the Coolum for the last one at least. And obviously, I wanted to also ask you about Tant. I had a good podcast with him. He's a super, you know, just a likable dude. You know, works hard. Really cool backstory. A bloke you know so well. Do you reckon he has? He's obviously a pretty, you know physically and mentally strong rider, never give up sort of mentality. He'd probably still give himself half a chance. He might be able to sort of scrounge it if things don't go the other way for the for the other two. Because as we saw in, you know, Tomac and Hurlings, it's one false move and it's all over, isn't it? I, I sort of said this to Aaron, um, and this was coming into Toowoomba. I said, I like the position you're in. Uh, being a few few points down, coming into your home rounds, like they ride Coolum weekly, they ride QMP weekly. These tracks they ride weekly. I'd rather come into this a little bit behind, and you can control it a little bit more. Especially when you know, look back to Dean Ferris at Coolum last year, it wasn't fantastic. There might be potentially more guys to throw gappers into this. Like it's yeah, I I'd probably give the nod really to Aaron Tanney over Jed Beaton. Yeah, he's he's coming in, in, in pretty in this situation and Toowoomba was a little bit disappointing. Obviously with Tanny had a couple of late crashes there and that definitely uh hurt the situation for him. But you know, talking Aaron Tanny, what a guy. Like he's one of us. He's done his trade. Uh, he he sort of came into the sport real late, had a lot of help um to sort of end up with, you know, where he was and, you know, 
Circo Circo Yamaha. It's another place which is huge to me as well. Um, did a lot of time there. Went to America and did some stuff. Honestly, when I talk to Aaron Tanney, I see American flags in his eyes. That's pretty much the way I'll say it. He's won his championship here. He's, yeah, I, I think we see American um, for Aaron Tanney very, very soon. It's sort of with World Supercross, like a Supercross only style thing uh, thrown in there a little, with a little bit of motocross on the side because he's definitely got the talents on all disciplines, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely. Like, look at last year, how impressive he was um, in both World Supercross. I remember everyone cheering around Melbourne. That was uh, incredible. And then uh, it disappointed to see him go down there in Newcastle. I'd probably see him in Monster Energy Supercross is where I would probably put him. Um, it, it sort of really depends on the, you know, the landscape of World Supercross and how that plays out in the future. There is a few things i see there that worry me honestly um and how it plays out is is i feel going to determine a lot of things with these guys but it's well, uh, what a couple uh, of your, your thoughts on world supercross obviously there's a lot of positives attached to it with you you say obviously rocks and headlining it more sort of more teams more rides uh more jobs for mechanics these kind of things showcasing supercross out in the world obviously they've had a few teething issues which is to be expected but uh yeah your, your thoughts on it mate just what you think positives and negatives uh you know positives it's it's giving these guys somewhere to go it's giving these guys potential to have longer careers it's um it's paying these guys money it's more races for us to watch it's supercross which i love it kind of a little few things that worry me about it is obviously it's highly rumored there is that many rumors about world supercross whether it's you know in a good direction or a bad direction I look at the little things, you know, that question, you know, what, why did France not go ahead? I believe it was the France round. And then say, if you look at ticket sales as well, you can buy tickets for the next round and you can buy tickets for Melbourne, but nothing in between. Like that's a little bit worrying to me when I look at the first round as well. Um, pretty low with fans. Um, I think we, we could both agree with that. And that's not on. That's got nothing to do with World Supercross. That's just they are trying to break into a demographic that hasn't been broken into before. How long can that happen? How long can they continue to do that, or before they need to potentially find more money or more investors? Um, and then the 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 biggest part that worries me is the reception it got from America and around the world. They want to see the best guys. They want to see Eli Tomac. They want to see these you know these other guys and when race teams and manufacturers are putting their foot down ed to, to stop that that's a worrying thing to me yeah it sort of seems like with some of those older supercross guys obviously you got roxon muskan cooper mookie maybe christian craig that they want to get through the next few years when those guys are available to sort of really fill out their roster with some seasoned stars, even though they'll be veteran stars by then, but it's going to be a really tough balance for them. Obviously the roster, like you said, is just so important and whether it's just enough for that event in itself to get people there will be pretty interesting, mate. So yeah. And it's how long it can, like how long, you know, Adam, I've worked for Adam Bailey. He's, uh, you know, I've had a lot to do with him, a lot of conversations about it. How long does it do what it's doing? They know it's going to take time, but does the money last long enough in that time? Um, yeah. And yeah, it's 
you know, look at the first round. It was buy one, get one free tickets, like that type of thing. You can't be making money when you're doing that, surely. Um, and obviously it costs a lot of money to put an event on over there and get everyone there. And if you're not making money from these events, then yeah, it's, it's quite scary. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely want to be rewarding all that work that goes into putting these things on. Cause it is just a nightmare to put on and obviously having it a soccer stadium and the way it was, it's probably better going for those smaller stadiums, but you can't really pick and choose. You sort of got, got to go what's available with, you know, having, you know, each end with no crowd. It wasn't a particularly great look in a, sport where you can't really conceal it because you've got to cover the racing. So definitely a it's, tough thing. But I, like, I respect um, what Adam's doing like a hundred percent and he's the same dude, man. He just loves Supercross like yeah. the rest of us and wants to see it around the world. Um, and I'm a hundred percent for that. I really am. It's just um, how it plays out is, is, is going to be interesting the next two years. And uh, you know, I hope it goes smoothly for them. I really do. Yeah, all the best for sure. We, ben and I at MX Vice had a podcast with him probably a month or so ago. And yeah, the guy just loves it. He's just so into it. He's all in. He's so passionate, motivated. You sort of got to, you know, you want people like that to succeed in what they're doing. So it'll be interesting, mate. But just sort of touching on the the state of play in Australian motocross and the MX1, we'll start with how, how deep is the level? Obviously, if people are listening that might not follow it so closely, it's very stacked, isn't it, mate? Probably talking to some of the riders, they've been saying maybe the best in 10 years when you got Ferris beat and Tanty. Gibbs, Clout, even Harwood, the Kiwi, he's an absolute weapon and doing that privateer stuff. And he obviously did well in Washougal too for all the fantasy users. Uh, he was definitely a good pick. So, yeah, seeing him, you know, regularly beat factory guys and you got Kyle Webster who's having a uncharacteristically sort of, you know, average season with bad luck and getting a rock in the arm yeah. and just so much bad stuff. And he's one of the, you know, he's a great technician, superb rider, could probably definitely hold his own in the AMA and the MXGP series. Todd Waters is still going. Metcalf's there. Guys like Watson, Walker, and Evans, great talents. So just talk us through it, mate. It's just stacked, isn't it? I think when you you look at this, let's let's look at the season and you know the the whole Pro Mex as a whole. And I'm lucky enough to to you know have a have a a role there as well on race day, um, with what Foremost do as well. But I think when you look at the sport and how it's looking at the moment, our TV package is debatably one of the best in the world. It really is. Yeah. Um, it like compare it to what we had for pro motocross last year. Like at yeah. one point I considered burning down the truck. I was going to, at Parla, I was going to set fire to the truck. It, it crossed my mind. Um, and then when we got the situation that we have here with Australia, you know, some of the tracks, maybe I'm not a big fan of, but we have to go to these areas. That's fine. And we need to start there. Like the start of the season, it was rough, obviously, with Wontaggy and, and what happened there. Then moving on to um, Appen, which was a mudder on a 40-degree day, followed by a real mudder. The sport was in a, is in some shaky hands there for quite a while. Um, but, you know, since then, it's it's really started to get going. And uh, I feel like there's a lot of storylines to follow there as well. There's a lot of places you can watch this. You can watch this around the world as well. Um, and then talk MX1, like... There is, I could list five guys that could go out there and win a moto, which when you talk like that, it's it's fantastic racing. But what worries me is we're going to lose a lot of those guys soon, Ed. Mm. When you look at the average age of a few of those guys, it's only a matter of time till we lose them, right? Yeah. Yeah, then you've obviously got to rely on guys like Todd and Crawford, Connolly, Reese Bud, Ferguson, 
Caden Mini and some of these guys will probably be going overseas at some point as well. So you've got to rely on that next generation to to step through. And, and your thoughts on that? Obviously, the, the Todd Crawford, they're obviously a step ahead in the MX2 class. They're just riding on rails. And both have had their adversity this season, but especially Crawford, obviously. And Brody Connolly, a Kiwi, he's certainly stepped up and shown what he's all about on your Eve Konski's team, hasn't he? Crawford, when you, you start the season and obviously Wontaggy and the points there and a few other situations as well for him, kind of, it put a dampener on the, on the, on the season because he's really been one of the only ones, you know, apart from, you know, Jesse Dobson or Reese Bard or to sort of go out there and, and beat Wilson Todd. And, you know, Wilson Todd was having some, some, uh, some health issues pretty early on the season, which he's just started to sort out and you can see his progression back to what it was. And now it's honestly Nathan Crawford v Wilson Todd and Wilson Todd is just so fantastic at, you know, maintaining a championship and just making it. He knows if he finishes second, that's quite okay. And he'll get it done that way. If we didn't have the situation with the points and the takeout or whatever happened with Nathan Crawford, I, I feel like this is a very, very tight game. Um, and then when you, you look at the teammate there, Brody Connolly, he's become leaps and bounds. He really has. And uh, great guy as well, both on and off the motorcycle. Throw Noah Ferguson, Crawford, you know, the star, um, sorry, the star, Circo's team. You've got the Yamalube team there as well. Like, it's uh, it's it's impressive. But, you know, when I talk about the 450 class and losing so many of these riders, that MX3 class is so entertaining to watch the the level and the depth of rider and how mature these guys are for that age we're surely going to lose a couple of these guys maybe to euro america um but that class the next dean ferris is in there the next kirk gibbs is in there it's going to be okay there might be some transition time but uh dude it's it's a fantastic class and obviously you can see from a couple of those young guys, Kai Woods and Jake Cannon, especially in the in the Junior World Champions in Romania a couple of weeks ago, they sort of showed what they're all about. Obviously Woods had the adversity with the fuel cap and then just collapsing right at the end when running, you know, basically podium position uh, with the heat. It was just so exhausting. And then, yeah, Jake Cannon, you know, super fast, hard charge. You saw it at Toowoomba as well. You've seen that, that skill and this, that, that talent that is, that is just full of this MX3 class, isn't it? Dennis, Jack Mather, you know, Williams, Drew, Olander. Owens is another one that's, you know, he's had a go in Europe and hopefully we would definitely look forward to seeing him back there and many of these guys in the future. So, mate, who are you saying is the pick of the bunch? Uh, Cannon's definitely right up there, isn't he? Yeah, Cannon, Byron Dennis up there as well. Jack Mather, Liam Owens, uh, Connor Tower, like he can turn it on as well. Um, Kobe Drew, like, you know how I said I can you can pick five guys in the 450 class to, to win a moto? Man, double that for MX3. Double it. Um, and it's it's more so for their age, watching the caliber rider they are, the maturity, their race craft at that age, it's seriously impressive. Um, and, you know, who, who knows what those guys could do? Who knows what Byron Dennis could do, you know? Potentially in that class, we may have a Jet Lawrence on our hands. We, yeah. we don't know. And it's, I think the one thing with Australia is it doesn't matter what discipline it is, Ed. It could be freestyle. It could be off-road. It could be supercross, motocross. We just provide and build professional motorcycle athletes. Yeah, um, it's impressive, look, isn't it? 
Look at the F games on the weekend. Like, <laughs> yeah. Any, it's like Australia has just got to be known in action sports for the caliber of rider we produce. Yeah. Um, and like Charlie Cannon as well, female as well. Like, she's gonna be a superstar. Yeah. You know, already is. Um, yeah. the the whole Cannon family as well. And and like you said, we're probably gonna lose a few of these, maybe to Europe. Like we we hope to see Liam Owens. We hope to see him get something or or do a little bit more over there. I know that's something he's looking forward to. And Jake Cannon obviously got a little bit more help when he was over there. It's uh yeah, uh, it's it's Aussies doing well in the sport and um, representing us well. Yeah, it's good to see them go over there and test themselves because, you know, those classes and things, those those Euro riders are so fast. In America, you know, there's a couple obviously they're testing themselves too. And that's what you got to do. You need to see guys like Jack Miller in MotoGP. You got to go young. You got to test yourself like the Lawrence guys. You got to have a crack. Put yourself in the deep end and see how you stack up because, yeah, you learn so much racing it. You learn what you need to be and how far you, you might be behind because those AMX 125 and AMX 250 kids they're just absolutely on rails and you know countries like latvia and estonia they're just producing talent the scandinavian countries they're all just catching up and they're all just absolutely flying and you know a lot of the emx 250 kids they slot in the top ones go to mx2 and they get top tens and you, you know like in france you had three guys 17 years old and under getting in the top 10 in mx2 world championship it's staggering so the, the younger you know the kid they're just stepping up elevating the game all the time and these aussies are showing that they can hold their own mate so and it's cool because they've, they've got options obviously they can go supercross or the the motocross route and that's sort of like split down the line obviously Cade Mini is there at the moment he's just you know one of the next shining lights in Australian motocross and supercross so your thoughts on him mate just how how impressive the skill sets are mate from such a pretty small country compared to these guys it's amazing how they keep coming through and the the training programs facilities they've got a few little mini bakers factories going on here too don't we it's you know that that's the exciting part and it's like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna classify you as a queenslander i'm gonna put you in southeast queenslander here but it's the mecca so to speak you know it's the california of australia we have you know a lot of the top guys are here or they move up here for be at the tracks you know you've got beaten's pro formula down south and then you come up here you've got zero zero elite rider trading you've got um ford dale elite like there is a there's a, a lot going on up here and it sort of reflects America a little bit, you know, with MTF and, and all those facilities over there. Talking Caden Manier, um, I, you know, I had a, a really good discussion with Daniel Blair a couple months ago. Um, Daniel Blair is, you know, a fantastic human. I'm another one of these relationships that I'm just pumped to, you know, have and be able to speak to. And he was talking about him. He goes, what, what's your, what's your thoughts on Caden Manier? I was like, so much yes. I was like, whatever it is, it's yes. Um, for his age and, you know, uh, another thing for how young he was and what are you able to achieve and his riding style and um, speaking with him, it sounds like it's going fantastic for him over there in North Carolina. Um, they put him on the Supercross track there as well, learning to do, you know, Supercross whoops and tracks there are different um, than they are here. So that's a whole learning curve as well. So to be as open as it is, like even Club, um, Reed Taylor, he went over to Club MX and did some stuff over there when Mossy was there. Having these places over there, which is so accessible for our riders, um, it's, you know, it's it's great. It, it, shows the, it shows these teams what sort of caliber of rider we've got. Um, and I, I think you'll see a little bit more of it. I, I kind of... When I look at Daniel Blair, I, I kind of see he's scouting talent for the Orange Brigade. Yeah. 
So yeah, if he's, he's, in, he's, he's in a good place to shine and succeed. And you know, with Aussie kids, like you've seen in the past, or guys from South Africa, when they come over to a Europe or in America, they're all in. They've sacrificed so much. Their families are pretty much, you know, selling up everything for them to do it. And they sort of they sort of rise to the occasion. That pressure spurs them on even more than, say, a kid that lives next door to, to his team or whatever. It's just another sort of ingredient to throw in the mix, isn't it? It, it is. And it's, I think it's probably, you know, the fact these kids, you know, Jet talks about all the time. Supercross Sunday, we'd sit here in Australia and watch it and, and dream about it. Like, I know I'm the same. And that's as a fan, I dream to go to Glen Helen. I dream to go to these test tracks and see that. So when these kids get that opportunity to go there, they give it 150% and put that up against, you know, someone that might have to drive half hour to go to a facility and something they've grown up about. It's not the fact that they're not putting it in, but it's it, it might not be just a, a dream to them for the last 10 years of their life. Yeah, it might um, be a failure, might be more of an option than I guess some of the other kids, which it's sad in motocross, it's, there's just not many rides and supercross, there's not many rides. So there's so many stories where kids and families have invested everything and it hasn't worked out for whatever reason. There's so many things that can go wrong as well as ride, isn't there, mate? And just another yeah. one with the... With the future of motocross in Australia, obviously we need an MXGP round, which there has been talk of that coming next year, potentially in South Australia. So that would just all just elevate this, get more people on board because it's such a hotbed of motocross for in terms of manufacturers selling bikes and the level in the sport here. We definitely need something like that, don't we? Oh, it's it's so overdue to happen here in Australia. And, you know, it's highly rumoured that, like you said, it'd be South Australia, you know, a, you know, a custom-built track. And if we can incorporate the same weekend as that for our Pro MX series, it gets so much more exposure. And it, it's like there's so many ticks to it. And I feel like the calibre rider and, like you said, how relevant we are now with the sport, it's it's only a matter of time till actually, no, we deserve it. That's, that's the, the terminology I'm going to put is we deserve to have it um, I feel like it'll be done 100% correctly, um, which is exciting. And then, you know, segueing a little bit back to America as well, Loretta Lynn's coming up this next week. Same thing as well. We've always got a list of Aussies in here. Uh, Brad West as well. Brad West, another one of my uh, my close friends as well. And to see what he can do before stepping up onto these class. And it's funny, I, like I want your opinion on this as well. It's like, you know how they they the, there's a stigma of you know if you don't win a Loretta's or you don't win mm. an AMA national championship or a junior like you'll fail like I hate that yeah yeah if, it's if sad you to go see. there and you fail it's okay you're going to be fine and look at Hayden Deegan uh, future races at a at Anaheim one people wrote him off straight away yeah and look what he's gone and done like yeah it, it's fine it's just that stigma about it that you know, if you don't go there and succeed, that you're not going to be any good. But uh, a lot of Australians in uh, Loretta Lynn's this weekend, pretty sure I went through the, the list, but uh, keep your eyes on, on Brad West there. Yeah, it's like kids and especially at those ages and, and athletes in general, they develop at different times. So that is a thing that needs to be taken into consideration a lot with these kind of things. Obviously, they have age rules in, in the MXGP and the AMX classes and, and these sort of things, MX2 specifically and MXGP, that 23 year old rule which is very divisive and divides <laughs> opinion but it's cool in in america there's just so many privateer 
teams and riders doing their own program so they can still chase their dream. And in a sport like motocross, supercross, the bikes, uh, obviously the factory bikes are ideal, but you can still be a success if you're an awesome rider on some, you know, substandard equipment to compared to that because the rider makes so much difference. It's a really cool level. Obviously, the, the rules they have over there helps that as well. But it's just so cool. You can still pursue that, you know, speaking to guys like Kevin Morans and he just keeps charging and, you know, it's just such a basic setup. They do all the stuff themselves, the marketing, the media, the promotions, a lot of the bike work themselves, you know, Look, even some of these guys. Yeah, exactly. Transporting yeah. bikes themselves. So much to deal with, which just gets taken for granted and taken out of, you know, a lot of the elite guys' hands. So to still be able to do that and still want to do it, like guys like Stapleton, even an Aussie who, you know, it's cool to see him always chancing his arm over there. But yeah, there's always sort of options and, and that for people that want to really want to make something out of it or want to have a crack and it can lead to some pretty cool success stories like we've seen in the past. But yeah, your thoughts on that and also just your take on the MX age rule and the world championship. Should it be extended to a 25 or a 26 to count in for some injuries and some smaller guys? Or can you see what they're doing trying to make the MXGP the absolutely the elite class? And if you're not up to it, it's sort of you fall by the wayside. I I can see what they're trying to do. But I think if you start to see a decrease in numbers and, and how, you know, the overall look and percentage of how MXGP and, and those classes are, I think you almost have to, to, to give these guys somewhere to go. And it's, you know, that's this, I'll ask you the same question here with Australia in the 250 class. Should we have a point out rule? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's probably you know, you want as much talent as possible as you can in those classes. Like in America, you see cool guys like Christian Greg, you, you know, your mate winning that title at an older age. So those kind <laughs> we of were stories, abused. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Certainly, certainly came back with interest, but that kind of thing, it just gives people opportunities, you know, so probably maybe not in the series like Australia, but just because you want to have as much talent as possible you know, in those classes, because some guys, you know, might not work out or whatever. But I suppose there's definitely valid arguments for both sides. What, but what's your yeah. what's your thoughts on on you know with the MXGP and that you know extending it to 25, 26? Are yeah, you for I, it or are you against it? I'd probably be slightly more for it. Having spoken to a lot of riders, you know, even like Kevin Hogmo and Harrop, who are you know Hogmo especially is moving up next year, Harrop the next year. You know, you got Jan Pansar, who's doing a privateer setup. You know, there's a lot of guys that are moving up and they're really scrounging for rides because as, you know, they're just, it's kind of like it's still a juniorish class at the moment. So, you know, yep. those guys haven't fully developed. So to even get a, like Rowan van der like on a factory Husqvarna, like he's now injured. Uh, it's going to be so hard for him to get a ride or maybe get a ride probably, but a ride that he feels he has a competitive enough bike on. And it's, yeah, it's going to be so difficult to really slot yourself into MXGP. And then if you're running 10 to 15, you can sort of, time can pass you by pretty quickly when someone like Yago is going to come up to MXGP next year and just slot straight in factory bike. And, you know, you're in there battling for 10 to 20, which those guys are so fast as well. Like people oh, yeah. probably don't understand that they're just wildly fast. Like they'd come here and you guys like Alvin Ostland, the, the Swedish guy, is sort of around that 10 to 15. He'd, he'd probably come in and do exceptionally well here. And in America, like you saw with Boutron and Lucercio, all these guys chance <laughs> their arm. And there's so many fast guys on those privateer bikes like Spees and Cock in MXGP. So it's a real, like you literally just going straight up. It's a big step. The intensity is just so strong throughout the whole races. And if you don't get a start, you're such, like even the factory guys are battling, let alone the guys on the smaller team. So yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, it's it's a big step. So is that is that kind of a long even 25, 26 would probably be maybe a better idea. But I can definitely see that MXGP class is what the focus is on, even though the title fight is in MX2 this year. Talking a little bit MXG real quickly, you know, it was rumored throughout the year. There was a few times Jeffrey Hurlings, you know, he said he wanted to do parlor. He said he wanted to do the first round. In the last week or so, you would have seen it as well. Um, he was looking to do the final round there at Unadilla. Give me a percentage. Give me a percentage of chanceability of that actually happening, Ed. Well, I'd say it's pretty low. He's announced that he's doing two ADAC rounds in Germany, which will be interesting to see how he goes in them, which will be massive for the series. And that's kind of like a series like Australia that's super well run, very underrated, great TV package, great event in itself with you know the Red Bull stuff going on there, which is in contrast to some of the other domestic championships like the UK, for example, which they have struggled to get a TV package going this year, which is just sad for the fans because you've got like guys like Monticelli going over there, Seaman and these kind of guys on top of the guys like Searle and Gilbert and Muse, everyone wants to see. Like it hasn't yeah. really been available as much as it should have been and as, at a level, say, Australia's doing it at. But yeah, you never know. Hurlings is uh, cool to see him you know, doing it, re return at an Ironman, you know, to have that kind of a ride again. It would just be so cool. Imagine the interest in it now already and just give something a little bit extra to maybe break the streak of Jet too, wouldn't it? I, I don't know. Like, I I feel like he says it to, to somewhat stay relevant with it. You know, going back to the Hurlings v. Uh, Tomac for a rate. Like, I feel like it's a marketing technique just to sort of more so stay relevant. But, like, I love playing the game of what if. Can yeah. you imagine if Jet has this thing all the way locked up, final round unit, uh, final round Iron Man, and Jeffrey Hurlings rolls in? Oh mate, like, it, it has put the pressure on Jet. Oh, but he still beats him, right? Oh, he's so fast oh, when he hits that switch. He's wild, like Jeffrey. Oh man, got, it, it's he's he's got something else in the tank, that's for sure. But yeah, even still, like Prado was still holding him off and managing him throughout the year with those qualifying races, but obviously that wouldn't be the case in America, but yeah, the, the track knowledge and, and stuff, but some of those riders can transcend those kind of factors just on their pure speed and talent and, and skill. And he's definitely one of those guys. So to see him in there, just be good to see him back on the gate firstly, because that injury, you know, you, those kind of neck injuries, it's, it's not like a Jason Anderson. They really sort of put the brakes on you and they probably put things in perspective a bit because a little bit off to one side and, you know, that's, could be, you know, some serious issues, but not just your your riding career, but your life. So they're, they're wild how they just come back and, you know, forget all that and go hard. But yeah, Hurlings, it'll be great to see him back, even though the, the title sort of passed him by another year because of injury. It was a really strange crash, but yeah, anything yeah. with Hurlings in it, it just develops so much interest. It's good for the sport. I know every poster, you guys probably see it too. Anything with Hurlings, it goes nuts. And we want to see him back out there as soon as possible. I, I was like worried about returning with a leg injury. You yeah. know what I mean? Like that and then throw the neck thing on it. Like do you come back and be a hundred percent what you were? I don't think you do. Yeah. Well you said um, it took Jason Anderson quite a while to to get back into obviously the fitness and those hot days weren't great for him either. But that those neck things it just can't be comfortable for you knowing that another, you know, bad move or a bit of bad luck can just cause so much more damage. Yep, same as Marvin as well. Like, I I don't know if we'll see Marvin race again. I yeah. really don't. Yeah, does he no. go World Supercross? Because it's probably like a prime example of an athlete could slot into that. But then would the team deal satisfy what he's looking for? 
Yeah, it's. I feel like you could probably almost see him return back to a GP ride, or something like. <laughs> I feel like you could you could potentially see that, and the same with Ferrandis as well. It, it's highly rumored that you know Ferrandis will leave Star Racing Yamaha, and he doesn't have something to go to. Mm. I sort of feel like you know after the season, the last two seasons, the injuries that he's had, he would be content with walking away from it ed like yeah well if he doesn't get the right ride and he doesn't get paid what he believes he deserves to be paid because he's not going to take like a ride that's not going to fit him and fit what he you know he knows what he's worth and he knows what he wants and he's a very defiant character so any negotiations you know you hear about the suzuki rumors which would be pretty cool having him and roxon on the one team especially (laughs) you know for audiences all around the world would that be a possibility you hear about various things in the past about kawasaki too but you know, that looks kind of unlikely too. So there's a lot to sort of go on with. And you couldn't imagine him going back to the GPs because he sort of worked so hard to get to America and the lifestyle and the and the, everything that goes without the success he's had. But he's also the kind of guy you couldn't imagine hanging up the boots when he's got so much left to give. Well, that that's what I mean. And I, like in the perfect world, if, you know, playing silly season uh, with Jason Anderson, it was, you know, pretty rumored as well that he was going to sort of sit back for a little while, develop this Triumph motorcycle um, along with the team that, you know, he's so close with. I'd like to see Ferrandis go to that Kawasaki. You know, he did his career on a Kawasaki in Europe. Like, I feel like that'd be a good end of a career or, you know, start winding down and, you know, him and AC on those motorcycles. I feel like that's a solid team. I really do. I feel like he'd do well on that Kawasaki, it's no secret. He doesn't like that Yamaha. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's quite funny, you know, listening to Eli talk about the bike is the complete opposite to what Ferrandez says. Yeah. Um, and it's more so ever since he's got on that bike um, in Supercross, it just hasn't been good. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Obviously, someone like Joey Savacci probably wouldn't be too happy seeing something like that, would they? He's just been waiting in the wings for so long and deserves a factory ride. It's definitely a caliber rider that should be on one. There's just not enough seats, is there, mate? Maybe something like Triumph and Ducati can help alleviate that, which is exciting for the sport. And obviously, Beta in America, it's obviously already in MXGP, but it's always good to have these more rides for these riders because they do it tough, mate, and they're not always rewarded for their results or their hard work, are they? My heart broke for Joey. It really did. Like he has done more than enough for that Monster Energy Kawasaki team twice or three times now and continues to get screwed, continues to get screwed. Like uh, it just blows my mind. He was another one of these riders which was prepared to walk away from it. And this is when, you know, we see the positives of World Supercross and Rick Ware Racing. It gave him a home. It gave him something to do. You know, he didn't make it through a full season of Supercross. He had to park it at Daytona because there wasn't support for him. Um, so he's still being able to make money through World Supercross and Rick Ware Racing and obviously support his family, a couple of young girls there as well. For him, that's a massive positive. But like Colt Nichols' deal there with HRC last year, uh, this year, sorry, that should have went to Joey. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know if there's a stigma or, or you know, he's got this facade or something that people think of him or, or what it is, but he's been one guy that has just got screwed over. But 
continues to just line up. Like, look at AC last year when AC was out. Goes back to Kawasaki alongside his long-term mechanic there, Justin Shanty, and kills it. And he was coming back from a knee injury. Felt like he needed to do that to prove himself. Yeah. And got screwed again. Like, yeah. it's, it's it's just like brutal, isn't it? How it can just spit you out just so quickly to sport, no matter what you do. And, and you look at Cole Nichols, he's riding a borrowed bike at Washougal getting 10 10 i believe it was it's just a solid effort admiral effort and then sort of trying to squeeze out rides just months after being a factory rider it's just the bizarre situations these guys get thrown in. and then obviously world supercross you know that huge gap in the schedule there so they're just sort of biding time wanting to get smx points racing wsx it's such a strange sort of format that it's sort of created but it's good for the sport it's probably it's good for the you know the fans it's good for the media to sort of cover these things but there's there's a lot of sort of strange happenings at the moment, especially with the SMX thing coming up too and dudes chasing it in just because the money's on the line, they'll come out, won't they? I feel like a prime example for that, Ed, is is Cooper Webb. So Cooper Webb came back to ride motocross. I, I feel like as soon as he came back, he scored some points. He's seen how this structure was going to go and he knew he was still going to be high in that 450 class. So be it he had a crash, be it he didn't, be it Something went wrong with KDM. He's not racing the rest of the season. And I think in his head, he knows it's all going to be okay because of where he is in these point structures. Same as Christian Craig. You know, Christian Craig was really pushing to return for the final three or four rounds. Doesn't look like that's going to be the case, but he knows he's still going to be in that top 30. Um, so, he, you know, he'll qualify for SMX based off Supercross. Do you see a few guys taking the last couple of rounds off if there's nothing really to ride for and just purely focusing the attention? Because that's another conundrum you've got to deal with. Like it's good now at the moment, but for those of it's, you know, 40 degrees and it's, you know, you don't really need to, is there any benefit in doing it? Considering, you know, when you look at these SMX tracks, I'm going to say it's 90% Supercross. Yeah. Why, why, why not have the, uh, why not have a few rounds off now? Like, we're going to have, you know, two weekends off, three weeks in this gap now. I imagine a lot of these guys are going to jump back on some Supercross. If you've got nothing to fight for and the team's okay with it, probably take it off and go ride some Supercross. Yeah. Um, I, I would be for that. And it's it's a quick turnaround, man, from, from when motocross finishes straight into SMX. And then, uh, what, what is it, the 25th of September, it's all over. It's, yeah. it's and then quick, the nations then... just to recalibrate again it's pretty crazy the schedule it's a it's a fast end to the year and then world supercross and the aussie supercross this kind of stuff keeps the schedule going a bit longer too doesn't it oh it, all the way through and then yeah. you know for these guys that do do the smx what they're going to have october off you know middle yeah. of november they're going to start their their testing and and to get ready for the first weekend of january for 2024 supercross yeah like, is there too much so, racing you believe is and how much is that attributed to all the injuries this year or is it just bad luck? It's a bit of everything probably. You know, that is such a good question. And I've argued with so many people on Twitter about it. At the end of the day, it's a dangerous sport. Mm. Um, it's just one of those years where we have injuries. We, we see some weird stuff and we see the, the freaky stuff like, Eli, like, you know, we've seen the photos with Eli, he, you know, cut his boots or cut the brace there. Like, maybe we look at it a different way in, in more saying, saying, maybe Eli doesn't need a new set of boots every weekend. 
maybe he cuts them straps on there so it gives him more feel quicker. Like those little things might help. You know, we're not going to change the tracks. We're not going to do this. It's a dangerous sport. People are going to get hurt. Um, and it was just an unlucky season. Like, look at the 250 class last year for Supercross. I think we lost nearly everyone in, in Anaheim's heat races. Like, yeah. It, it's it's just a part of the game, and we had an unlucky year for it. Um, I think you can't do much more in America than, obviously, you know, your 17 yeah. rounds of Supercross, 11 rounds of motocrossing into SMX. He's a pretty, uh, pretty packed... Uh, Pretty packed. And obviously, season. everyone's got their own agenda. Like the Feld guys want to keep Supercross. There's no way they're budging because Supercross is, you know, it's the main draw card now, isn't it? It's sort of taken over. If anything, you'd only be getting more Supercross and less motocross. But I feel like motocross is, you know, the lifeblood of the sport, just like privateer riders are. You know, it needs to be there. We don't want to lose any more of those rounds. And the title race is still well and truly on in the 250 class, especially and getting Jet to still see do his thing. Like we need that motocross. Like it's it's what everyone sort of grows up on. It's it needs to be there for the for the next generation to see because not everyone's you know four years old riding supercross. It's not 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 a reasonable thing. So that's what really gets people buying bikes and this kind of stuff to you know is the catalyst for people to get into the sport, isn't it? Absolutely, and you know. Uh, look at what's happened this year with obviously Feld Entertainment and uh, MX Sports Pro Racing coming together. Like how good that is for the sport that these now series are working together and they managed to put together SMX. Like that for the sport is incredible. And it was, you know, for a while then it was like they were going up against each other. As long as they stay civil working together, um, awesome. Yeah, like and obviously they're you, working you with the get... MXGP guys at Infront too, and they're looking at exactly. creating some really exciting things in the future. So uh, these guys are all partnering up and and buddying up. Where does that leave World Supercross? This is the next question too, isn't it? Uh, that's you know another one of those things that worry you. And was that was that a part of how it was? You know how they went towards it. Like it was no secret. Bailey, Adam Bailey talks about you know some of the meetings they had with with America pretty early on that they didn't go down well mm. um you know whoever was doing it at the time I'm not going to name names they might have went at it a little bit too hard and the worst thing they could have done was pissed off everybody over there to the point where they wanted to get together yeah um which is which is hard but it for the sport to have all these come together and you know you go to a, a race and you see Davey Coombe, Sean Brennan, Dave Prater like all together how cool how awesome is that? Powerful sort of joined up thinking, you know, strength in numbers vibe. It's definitely just helps elevate it in America. That's for sure. And, and the TV them, deal is the TV yeah. deal as well. Like yeah. oh. all of it in one spot. Yeah. And it's got a, a multi-year deal, like yeah. massive ticks. Yeah. That's what you got to do to make it easy to access. And for everyone around the world, because it was a bit of a, you know, there's a few choice words you could use about trying to watch motocross in Australia over the years and supercross, but we yep. we'll save that for another time, mate. But yeah, obviously you look at the crowds at, at MXGP for one, but also the AMA pro motocross, people love coming out to it. It's a massive event. You look at the weekend, you know, you hear JT talking about on his podcast that the lines to get out were massive, the lines to get in are huge. People are just loving it. They're loving the storylines. They're loving the Deegan. They're loving the Lawrence brothers, everything about it. So the sport seems to be in a really good place in terms of the crowd engagement and attendance. Now we're fully back to normal from the Corona stuff. It's, it should only be upwards from here, mate, I reckon. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, going back to thinking back to coronavirus days or 
COVID Supercross and what we were sort of dealt with, to go, it, it was strange, you know, to see what we've seen um, and then say 2022 Anaheim one where they sort of started to let it go and we seen a whole stadium full of people again. And I, I sell it and I'm one. It was just, it's speechless. Like you, for anyone that hasn't been to an A1, an opening ceremonies at A1 is something you will never forget. And to be able to do that again, three weeks later in the exact same stadium, it sells out again. If not, it's just as loud, it's louder than it was at A1. Like that's incredible. Same as San Diego. It's the same fans. Yeah. They're right there. Oakland, same fans. It's, incredible and then you're like you look at you look at pro motocross as well like a lot of you know behind the scenes stuff i think Deegan posted as well when he's on the uh on the on the podium there doing his interview looking out within the crowds like that reminds me back to like you know the early 2000s motocross day sellout um you know x games again this weekend twenty five thousand people sell out every day um action sports in general and and motocross and supercross it's in such a good way and you know it's you hear people go you know we need to get this in front of more eyes and we we need more people to see this i think we need to just accept of how good it currently is and when you look at this tv deal and we've got some sustainability for many years it's a bit easier for people to come across it now it's, Even though we it's work in, in the sport, it is still such a niche sport. Like I have another is, yeah. job writing about European football. It's just you can't really compare them at all. Like it's just crazy night and day. But it's it's impressive where it's going. Like even you know, there's talk of you know it needs a Netflix documentary like F1 or MotoGP. I, I don't know if we'll ever get to that stage, but there's some good documentaries going on that appear on YouTube or the odd television network, and you see stuff like the Aussie Supercross. There's a couple of cool little shows on that too that. In yep. Australia, that is sort of those doco style behind the scenes, and the MXGP guys are doing the behind the gate series, which is pretty cool. It's obviously they post some episodes on YouTube, but obviously you got to have the package to watch them when they're first released. But to try and get anything on that on on sort of mainstream TV, which is like they have done with a lot of stuff in America, is kind of a good avenue to get people into it. But like you said, it's probably never going to be fully mainstream, is it? Uh, look, it probably won't be, but when you look at the world where we are now and streaming channels and devices and YouTube is becoming more prominent for the generation and the demographic, maybe we sort of look to be the sport that does that. And, you know, we see that with the, you know, the grit and grind series that rockstar Husky put up. Awesome. Red Bull yeah. Moto Spy, like, dude, I'd get up at 1am because I knew an episode was dropping to see that. Yeah. I know Star Yamaha, they do their behind the gate. I believe it's a Yamaha one as well. Yeah. What we've done here in Australia on seven plus getting these supercross behind the, you know, what's I behind the life or I, I yeah. I'm sorry, I don't know what it's called, but awesome. That's yeah. what we need. Yeah, no, it's only gonna elevate everything, mate. And those people love that behind the scenes stuff. And you just look at someone like Deegan's YouTube, it's people that aren't into motocross are just into Hayden Deegan. Like he's what they follow. They they might not care about anyone else, they just support a rider, which is sort of, you know, that's the way it is. And it's a lot of cases in motocross when you focus a lot on one guy. But yeah, if you can get those sort of eyeballs and converting those fans, that's the challenge, which you hear with World Supercross, that's one of the key things, converting fans and hitting different markets to you know, expand your horizons as much as possible. Well, when you talk about Hayden Deegan, this that that's a great example. Go look at a, a you know, 
a video or something that Supercross might put up on YouTube or or something like that, go read the comments. Yeah. They're all Deegan followers. How'd Deegan go? How'd this go? I'd say there's a pretty high percentage that a lot of those people aren't fans of the sport or, or, or fans of and follow it. They had a following from his YouTube. Awesome. Let's get those guys. Let's pull them across. And that's why he is, okay, I'm going to put it, he is the most marketable rider we have. Yeah. Let's use that. Yeah. And if we can use the platform already, like, why not we, we, we put some of these races, like the next day it should go on YouTube or, or, or something like that. Maybe look at a deal like that. Yeah. Um, I see there are only benefits. X yeah. Games as well. Like I've said X Games that many times, they were streaming on YouTube. Yeah. That's, Works for them. Yeah. Yeah, and that's like when you see even the Pro MX have sections of it streamed on YouTube and then you can yep. access replays later or whatever, but it all the gets eyeballed. SMX Insider Show as well, like yep. YouTube. Yeah. They're working it out and it's it's working for sure. Yeah, the, the coverage in a good spot, mate. But uh, yeah, a couple more before we let you go. Just give us some title picks, mate. Obviously, the question is in the 450 class, can Jet go undefeated? We've sort of covered that. We'll just say yes because we're Aussies. And uh, in the 250 class, do you, reckon, do you reckon Hunter can hold off Hayden? That's kind of where we're at with that too, aren't you, mate? And MXGP quickly too. Prado looks like he's got a pretty unassailable lead there. And uh, it's pretty hard to ride off Yago at this point too, isn't it? Another 60-point weekend this weekend at Loma where he just sort of, yeah, really flexed his muscles, didn't he? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. MXGP for, for sure there. It's, I, it's all but done for me, the way I look at it. Even though Bevra's won four straight, it's yeah, just too late. But now, I still feel like it's too late, yeah. Um, which is, you know, somewhat similar with what we're seeing here in Australia with obviously uh Wilson, Todd, Nathan Crawford. It's 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 too late to to sort of make those points up. Same sort of category. Um Jet Jet's gonna get this done next round for sure. Well, not for sure, but from what we see. And honestly, I'm a believer that it will go perfect. Uh I, I hope it does because what a story. What what a story. Um, now the hard one. I'm going to go Hunter for the sake of I'm an Aussie and I love it. And I think he's got it. You know, he's, he's definitely got it in him. And a lot of these tracks we're going to go to really suit him. And he can sort of, you know, work with it. But I'm not shocked. If, if, if Deegan gets it done... I'm not shocked. What about yeah. you? Yeah, have you said I, I, I want you. Well, I think I think Hunter just purely with the experience edge and the fact that pretty much on every surface he excels. You obviously it doesn't really matter now so much with Southwick out of the way, but you get you get the feeling you never know with his crashes, but he's got less bad rounds in him, less bad performances in him, more charge through the pack. So just purely in the accumulation of points, you'd think Hunter would have enough in the in the bag, and you could maybe throw Justin Cooper in there, but just the fact that he just doesn't get those wins and those statement performances that he's, he's had under five, you know, motocross wins, which is for a rider of that talent and skill is quite remarkable considering he's basically challenging for the title whenever he's eligible to and fit and healthy. Yep. So, you know, there might be a few spoilers like those guys like Shimoda and, and Kitchen here and there and Vial, but yeah, it looks like it's hard to go past Hunter, but you know, always like to be proved wrong and always usually am proved wrong in, in some aspects, mate. So that's it, like, but, like we've seen with Eli and Sexton, yeah. that was done. That was finished. Yeah. And then enter what happened and anything can happen. Um, one thing we know for sure is it, it will go down to the final moto. 
Um, yeah. and, and that's the way I love to see a season and a championship finish. That last race, I'd love to see it. Final moto, whoever finishes in front of whoever, they yeah. win it. Yeah, what a story. What that, a storyline. In the in the MX2 and the 250 in America, we certainly yeah, strapped the seatbelts for a pretty good end of the year, mate. And just a last one before we let you go. Future plans, mate. What do you got coming up? Any specifically where to follow you? And are you going to be going to the nations, mate? Um, hopefully funds help for the nation uh, for the nations. Um, it's been a little bit tight, as we know. Things aren't getting cheaper here, Ed. They're getting dearer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, this uh, home that we call Australia seems to be uh, away from everywhere else. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, so fingers crossed. Um, for sure, definitely see uh, see me at the the SMX. Uh, the finale for sure and maybe hang around over there for a little bit and then definitely the start of supercross again and really just keep doing that and um you know as much as i can with moto online and and you know alex being able to utilize me for if, it, if it's videos interviews podcasts and then i'm really interested in the writing side of things as well and you know and some guidance with him and teach me things and and learn it's it's you know it's completely new to me and and learn new skills and that's one thing i really really do respect about alex is you know how polished and you know how much of a high grade that he expects moto online to be and and foremost media his agency here in australia and uh, to surround yourself with that and and to be a part of that is something like it's a you know it's a dream to me i think Honestly, we have some of the, the best riders. We have, you know, the best videographers. We have the best photographers. Um, a team of just absolute, you know, incredible humans of what they do. So to be a part of that is um is 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 fantastic, and to learn more and and see Alex, you know, grow with what he's doing in America and the the some of the things he's got coming up is is incredible, and to be a part of that while he's doing that and it's uh. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic, but yeah, all eyes on uh, all eyes on America. For, yeah, for, that's for me. I think where yeah. the attention's probably focused and where the interest is. So it's a wise move, mate. And all the best, and uh, yeah, keep up the great work, mate. And before we let you go, we'll just like to thank the sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Fox, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, the Cherbies, ASC Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, and of course Even Strokes for all their incredible support. As without them, there is no us. So thanks again, Nick, mate, for joining us. Yeah, it's been a great chat about a range of topics and I look forward to getting you back on soon and yeah, have a good one. Absolutely, mate. Thank you uh, for your time getting me on here and, you know, talking all things moto, like just hardcore fans like we are. So I appreciate it, mate. No worries, mate. All the best.